Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band All right, welcome to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to You, a podcast about music and the songs that we love. We specifically being three friends and former bandmates from various parts of the country, now living in Los Angeles. And every week we'll pick a song, we'll dive into the lyrics, the music, influences, our favorite and least favorite parts of the songs, and then at the end we'll play a cover. For our inaugural episode, I have chosen Little Richard's Long Toss Sally as a tribute to one of, if not the premier founder of rock and roll. I chose this song because uh, not only did it pay my respects to Little Richard, but I absolutely love this song. I love his sound. It's pretty much been in my life since I can remember listening to music, and Little Richard as a as a figure, but also just his music. And this song is the one I, I think I, I gravitate towards, even though most of it, a lot of his hits sound very similar. You know, it's very easy to get into as a child and then, you know, and as an adult, easy to like kind of a drink in like rollicking rock and roll songs, kind of the sound of, uh, of the beginning of rock and roll, which is, you know, it's a super exciting sound. It makes you move. It makes you sweat, want to sweat, you know, have a good time. Yeah, I mean, I love it because, I mean, like a lot of great songs, like I have no idea what he's talking about, but at the same time, I know exactly what he's talking about. You know, it's just have some fun tonight. It's so catchy. Um, and it's just like, it's almost the song is just a vehicle for him to bang on his piano and scream that he wants to have some fun tonight and do his high whistling woohoos. And uh, it really is just a vehicle for like, because like, what is he talking about? Do you guys have any idea? Or like what this song could be actually about other than having fun. It's with Uncle John and Aunt Mary and like Long Tall Sally. So basically this dude's going to rat out his uncle to his aunt because of this chick Sally that apparently Uncle John is seeing for need fulfillment. <laughs> because she has everything that he needs. Uh, Aunt Sally or uh, Long Tall Sally is a, a man or a woman. We don't. Did you think back? Well, not, we don't know what. Dude, it's a woman. What do you mean you don't know if it's a man? It's, it's, <laughs> her name is fucking Sally. It's for Uncle John. Like There's a line that says, well, I saw Uncle John with bald head Sally. Yep, bald head Sally. And well, we don't know what that means. We don't know that what... We don't know what... That, let's be clear. Uncle John ain't out with a dude in a dress with no hair. All right? That's not happening. Her wig falls off. <laughs> like, that, I was saying, like, that might be a slang thing that we're just not totally... Totally. Yeah, and I don't think... I don't think that is the case. But just with Little Richard's proclivities, and um, that one line jumped out at me, like, oh, bald head Sally. I, 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 I don't know this <laughs> for a fact, but I would assume that he threw that in there as, like, you know, being, well, I mean, a, being a sexually ambiguous uh, pop figure in general at that time and, and whenever, whatever time, I mean, this is 1955, you throw that in there. He was obviously pointing to something and trying to throw some people off. Messing with some people's heads. Well, well, here's the thing, though. He wasn't one of the songwriters, was he? Yeah. Yeah. Richard Penn. His name is Richard. Oh, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. He okay. basically, when I listed the songwriters, and Enetris Johnson is his father, which, from what I read, didn't write the song. He basically just wanted to give him some money from the song, like give him some royalties, kind of as a you know benevolent act. And then it's basically just him and Robert Blackwell. So. Yeah, so I, I mean, pretty much Little Richard wrote the song. And, and well, the history of the of the song is uh, there was a little girl who brought the, who wrote like a little section of, of, of the lyric 
about her Aunt Mary, who was sick, and she wanted to write a song that Little Richard would sing. And she knew a local DJ in New Orleans named Honey Chili, <laughs> and she gave it to him, and honey he gave chow. it Honey Chili. Honey Chili. Honey, yeah. chili. honey chili. <laughs> and she he gave it to Blackwell, and Blackwell didn't want to upset like a popular DJ because of what, what was it called Payola at the time. And so they they took it and they you know they liked the one line duck down duck back in the alley oh baby and they were like all right we can work with this and that's that's a root to the song basically. I, I just kind of did a little digging here and and yeah like now once again I mean this is the internet so who knows but like. There are references to say that like slang back in the day, especially you know in the black community in the South, to say that like it could be a woman with real short hair, or a woman who's like not especially attractive, and, like basically there's there's a, a number of I think it sounds like he, they're describing her as maybe kind of homely or something, but I don't think it a transvestite like reference like and I understand I could be taken that way now, but I think it's yeah. more I think it's a slang tune that term that we're not picking up on. But I think I think Little Richard was maybe just subconsciously or just like kind of just nodding at it. Even even the fact that it's called Long Tall Sally and at one point says she's bald. Yeah. Like there's there's just there's leaves room for interpretation. Whether whether he is or is, is, isn't like to your point, Jonathan, he did use a lot of I don't know if slang is the right word from like the African American community in this built for speed. I read is basically about uh, a sexual type. In yeah, like a proverbial speed or built, built for comfort or comfort, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means and, exactly. And, and misery, like that's just an express a southern expression for illness or weakness. So, yeah, I mean, he's using a lot of slang, but I think you know, he's probably he's having some fun with the lyrics as well. That's one of my favorite lines of the whole song. Like, he says he has the misery, but he's having a lot of fun. Like, I just it's such a cool thing to, I don't know, just the saying someone has the misery, it sounds so old and like, what you depressed. Well, I mean, rock and roll itself is a term for sex. Like, yeah. You rock and you roll and rock and you roll. Like, it's like, so the whole thing, I mean, it's because that's the thing. Like, this kind of music is based on rhythm. I mean, it's not melody driven, it's, it, it's phrase oriented. It's clearly blues based, but like, it's not melodic. It's about rhythm and it's about making folks want to move and it's about making folks want, like, this is music for an audience. Like, this isn't like, with Dylan's like singer songwriter stuff, it's like Dylan might be singing that song whether anybody's listening or not, because it's just like his contemplative self. Whereas yeah. this stuff is made for folks who got off work and want to come and forget about work and have some fun tonight. Yeah, and that's where like what I was saying, like the words don't matter. It's just a vehicle to like just express like pure rock and roll or just the vibe. To the rock and roll aspect, and this is the very beginning of rock and roll. Now this is a twelve bar blues. 12-bar blues is typical for all, like, kind of older blues tunes, right? So what is the, like, how did, how does this 12-bar blues, how does he take this into territory from, like, that acoustic or uh, Delta blues sound or the urban Chicago blues sound and make it rock and roll? That's why this tune is so special is actually because you could make a case that in and of itself, like, a case would be a tough one, but, like, that it's really not a special song. Because it is a blues. Now, it's definitely cool. It's not even like Johnny B. Good, where Johnny B. Good, I mean, just the lyrics. I mean, it's like Dylan called Chuck Berry America's greatest poet. And, like, Johnny B. Good tells you, like, a story. This one is, is a bit unclear. But the thing about this tune that, that shows you the power is, like, you just hear Little Richard coming into the world. And, and there is nothing, there is hardly anybody that has ever literally made that much of a splash and it's really just it's velocity it's just a rocket ship it's it's also just the the nature of uh 
just the shuffle, how fast it was. Little Richard playing just the eighth notes, just bum 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 bum. It's just, it's just, yeah, like you said, a rocket ship. So, so I, I, I did read where the staccato eighth notes he plays on the piano were not typical at the time. Whereas the shuffle that you know he's playing to, that the drummer's playing, uh, the drummer on this track is Earl Palmer, and this created something called play in the crack, which came to characterize the uh, Nola New Orleans sound and was kind of a precursor to what Chuck Berry was doing. Uh, explain to me what. Eighth, like eighth notes on a piano. Why is that? Well, a, like I, like I just said, I mean, it's just the fast, just the the pulsing, bum 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 bum. You know, like that's the eighth note. Yeah, so he's like in the. So, he, so well, when you're saying when, playing in the crack, so he's hitting no, them in between the the shuffle. No, like I don't think that has anything to do with the notes he's hitting per se. I think when the that thing about the crack, I don't know if they're just talking about the pocket. What I read on WikiLeaks is creating an ambiguity <laughs> in. The Wikipedia. <laughs> Julian Assange has Julian, big yeah. opinions on this yeah. song. <laughs> he, he's, he's leaking all the secrets. Uh, it says, leaking through the crack. It, 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 Wikipedia. Uh, it says creating an ambiguity in the ride rhythm is what playing in the crack is. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't. Do you know, Jonathan? What? Yeah, yeah, it says yeah. Chuck Berry got it from this song. This song created that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So here's what it is. Uh, and this is something I recognized um, a while back. I never heard it actually. What's it called? Playing in the crack? Playing, Say anything about Playing the crack. <laughs> playing the crack? Playing the crack. Playing the crack. Okay. So this is really cool because, like, all right, as a guitar player, to me, Johnny Be Good is, like, one of... It's like, if you can't play Johnny Be Good, you can't really play guitar, right? Like, it's like... So I practiced the shit out of that song, like, forever. and But it never quite sounded right. And I listened very closely one time... And I learned to listen to other instruments besides just the guitar because I felt like the guitar was pretty right. And what is going on is this, and it's the same as this song. The if your tempo is here, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, then eighth notes are one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two. So that's what the piano is doing and the guitar. Bump, 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 bump. But while you have that going on. Uh, most drummers who don't consciously know this will, will mimic that. They'll be going, but what these guys do is while you're going, they're going, so they're playing a shuffle rhythm. And they're at the same tempo, but the eighth notes have a drive and the shuffle has a swing. And it, it's it's almost like it's like mixing stripes and paisley or something you're not supposed to do because it's like, but it almost creates this like crosshatch thing where like and and the Stones talk about because it it's like Keith are talking about the push and pull of like making a BLT and having cold lettuce and hot bacon which is very tricky to do. And so what it is though is it's like there's the swing of the drums and then the drive of the eighth notes and. It just creates this texture that literally is rock and roll. Like, because if you don't swing it, it sounds very stiff. So that's what they're talking about. Yeah, and 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 really, is that just a like zooming in on what like the pocket is? Like, you know, every musician talks about the pocket. Like, is that just a form of playing in the pocket? You know, it what is, I mean? but it's a, it's different in the sense that you're actually playing a different rhythm than the drummer. Like, you're going and he's going. And it's a very, it's different. Like usually the pocket, you're in sync. This one, you're in time, but you're not technically in sync. So it's kind of, but it creates a very unique sound that you can't duplicate otherwise. 
so we're talking about obviously this was before Chuck Berry. You know, this is at the birth of rock and roll. Like there, it's arguable like Rocket '88. I guess some people say now, but they're also saying this. So so before this, shuffle very typical drum pattern, right? On yes, yeah, it's, it's it's the fundamental for blues. Before on the shuffle, what were they doing with the piano? Like what? Well. The ding, 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 with the drum going, the ding, the ding, the ding, the ding, the ding, the ding, exactly. And unless you're super talented, that can get boring really fast if if everything is just right in sync. Like what, just to what you're saying, like yeah, in the crack or the pocket or just cold lettuce, hot bacon. That's where you want to be. But we're talking about moving from the ding, the ding, the ding to da na 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 na. I mean, so you're talking rock and roll was just like. Boom. It's like a blast. It's almost like, and, and speaking, I guess, culturally at the time when it's, you're during the, like right in the heat of the Cold War or right at the beginning of the Cold War, maybe people are kind of scared and it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like a nuclear sound. It, like a bomb goes off and it's like, I just want to move, pick up the pace and let's move. I don't know what, I don't, they could drop a bomb tomorrow in this country. Let's just start shaking. Let's start sweating. Like that's rock and roll. Urgency, sex, having a good time. This song encapsulates that in two minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah. I think this may be a little early for the Cold War, though. I mean, 56, I mean, that's like, that's pretty early. I think what this is, man, this is really a combination of having a voice. Because up probably until, like, even in the 40s and shit, like, 16-year-olds, 7-year-olds, like, they didn't have a voice in the world, really. I mean, it's like, because economically, it just wasn't there. You, you were working, probably, or you were doing, or you were just cultured, you were in school, and then you are in study, but, like, this almost like created the teenager and like it, it's music directed toward them. And so that's why that speed, because the speed of this tune, like it's, there aren't many songs this fast. It's very unique. And and this is all conjecture, but I, I, I doubt he was thinking like, okay, we're, we're writing these songs to create the teenager, you know? I mean, he's, he's probably, let's say he was born in 1932. This is 55. So, you know, he's early to mid twenties, just out of college. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to live in, and I guess, you know, it, it may not be all Cold War, which had definitely just started at that point, but it could have been like, you hear about the 50s, that it's it's boring, and it's it's very middle class, and everything's black and white, and it's all the same, and so it's just like, give me something different. Now, no, not for the African-American community, obviously it was different, but there was more urgency there, and they had more to lose. And, and First of all, I don't think Little Richard went to college. I could be wrong about that, but I'd be very surprised he if he did. had gone to college. Did he? Yeah, after after these hits, he went back. Oh yeah, but I mean, like prior to this, I I, I never heard that. But he uh, he said in an interview with Letterman that uh, he went back to college because uh, he needed to know how to count his money. <laughs> oh, and now now after that, that doesn't surprise me because he went on, he became a preacher and like said, but just before this, because I think I mean, I kind of heard bits and pieces of his story. I never heard anything about you know being in college. But um, but yeah, but you could certainly make a case that this is one of the first times that like white folks got to hear it and so then you could say that like it wasn't really like that rock and roll is um it it is the introduction of that and i've thought about thought about this before even with blues about how it's like the hot air like coming from the south and like hitting the cold air like in chicago and that kind of stuff and like what happens with that you literally have like a, a precipitation like shit you comes out of that like you have a tornado exactly <laughs> but you have like literally something literally comes out of nothing and that's and I think once again, rock and roll clearly uh, was of the black community, but it's like almost until white folks heard it, and then that mix came. That's where things really got interesting. Fast music, white music, black music. It's so funny they they tried to write this song as fast as they possibly could, so Pat Boone couldn't cover it because Tutti Frutti was a bigger hit for Pat Boone than Little Richard, 
and that did not make them happy at all. And that's kind of what you were talking about before. Like the Pat Boone was just the 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 washed, the whitewashed version of like rock and roll. Um, it was great that they really like set out to like just make this as fast as possible, like slam all these lyrics like. Can we make it any faster? So if you think about his contemporaries at the time, too, if we're thinking about the birth of rock and roll, you're thinking, I guess, Jerry Lee Lewis would probably be in there. Elvis, obviously, would be in there. Was Chuck Berry doing music in 55, 56? Uh, yeah, I mean, he might. I mean, if he recorded Johnny Be Good in 58, then he, I mean, he was clearly doing, so, he, people may not have known about it, but he was clearly playing. So you don't have all those guys, and I wonder how, so, because, you know, he's on that 55 corridor, which is the highway that runs from New Orleans to Chicago. And Little Richard was, uh, all these the hit songs of his, most of the early ones were produced in New Orleans. So I wonder how much the New Orleans sound kind of differentiated him from, you know, other guys at the time. It's a tough question. I, I know actually the B-side of this song is so New Orleans. That slipping and sliding, this is the boom, 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 boom. But now I can't say this for sure, but if you think about New Orleans, well, the thing I think about is Fat Domino, which is piano driven. You have like Professor Longhair. It was... But then you think about Chicago, you automatically think about guitar-driven stuff and like chess records, and I'm sure there was, you know, plenty of good piano players around. But like, I don't. There, it must not be a coincidence that this piano-driven stuff uh, seems to be coming out of New Orleans. That makes sense. What was what was the first rock and roll song? I know last. Well, I I've heard it. it it's always been said, like if you read histories of rock and roll, that Rocket '88, which I think was Ike Turner. Yeah, but I've heard Quincy Jones say that uh, Caledonia by louis jordan and which and i i, I mean i know that song a lot better than um rock i don't really know rock 88 so maybe that makes me partial to it but i love that louis jordan stuff what are you guys talking about rock, what the hell is rock 88 rocket <laughs> rocket 88 is is kind of considered in most history like i don't know if i'm books. familiar with that song it's just an ike turner song it's honestly i've listened to it a few times it's not anything that i need to hear again but when was what year was that i mean it, here I'll, I'll look it up it couldn't been that much earlier but, but as far as pop, as far as like popular songs, like was this the first? I mean, Tutti Frutti was before this, but is like Tutti Frutti like really the the start of fast blues rock? So so Rocket '88 was '51, so that's definitely early. Right. But this I mean, was this was the first like polished, little, ready for radio, like you like we were talking about rocket ship. Little Richard always said he was the father of rock and roll. Well, no, he said that he doesn't call himself that but he agrees with the people who do <laughs> <laughs> now originally it, it, the funny thing this is um this song was originally called the thing i know i love that which also you know yeah that goes back to the sexual and, ambiguity yeah. of you know the 50s i know that's a, that would be a very derogatory term now and it was then as well but back and then, is that what they were talking about like it's just so funny to call a song the thing it's so mysterious so caledonia was recorded in 45 which is that's earlier than right and 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 it's considered jump blues, which it's like something's changed. Like it's not just blues. It's like it's jump blues. It's definitely got a kick to it. Um, I don't think it's as, it's not electric guitar driven like uh, other tunes would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and but to your point, Neil, I mean, I think it's you know, even for a guy like yourself who listens to tons of music, very knowledgeable stuff like Caledonia, and to even to a greater extent like Rocket Eighty Eight or tunes you're never even really familiar with. So I mean, I can't think of anything earlier than this song that really stands out like it does so for me i'm fine with this being you know i'm fine with that and that goes back to your earlier point of like this is the first time like you really had the black music moving over to the white audience and being like what is this we want a piece of that and in saying that like why you wouldn't know anything before that is because most of that music was being played for a majority black audience 
and and the records were being bought by a majority black audience. I think that's why before that was still considered R&B technically, you know, because like R&B doesn't suggest like there's a whole lot of crossover. I mean, now maybe but it, it suggests whereas rock and roll. But I mean, I think in terms of calling it the thing, I mean, I think that could just be like just, a, you know, a really uh, vague attempt or, or uh, of we don't know what to call this kind of music. Like, what is this? Like, I mean, that's like, I don't know if you remember if you saw Cadillac Records, which is kind of about chess records. Yeah. When Chuck Berry comes in, he just starts playing and someone's like, what is that? Leonard Chess is like, I don't know, but we're going to record it. And so I think they just didn't know, like, it's like, what the hell? Like, when people first heard hip hop, I'm sure, like, what is this? It's that that's, kind of thing. It's a great observation. And I, I didn't think any kind of sexual overtones with the thing, but... Maybe it was just, it was just like, it was so just revolutionary and so crazy and fast. They were just like, hey, play that thing. Play that thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- no, that's a great point. And it could be, it, that, that thing could just be sex. I mean, you got this song, if you listen to it and you kind of try to put yourself in the 50s, if you never heard anything like this before, all this pinup just energy just in his whale, like that initial whale, like you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, just boom, it's like release. And it's, let's have some fun, like all the way to the end with like the final release of like, we're going to have some fun tonight. At first, it's just like, I don't know what to do with all this energy. And at the end, like you're in a groove now, like you're ready. You're ready to to keep this going all night. Well, it's funny because in a in a very similar situation, but but in also uh, many ways, totally opposite situation. Black Sabbath, you know, was a uh, they were kind of a blues band called Earth. And like when they first wrote the tune Black Sabbath, but like the song was called Black Sabbath. But it's this crazy, heavy, slow, diminished, like, no one had ever, even now you hear it, and like, whoa, that is crazy. And they're talking about, like, they'd play their set, and then they'd play that, and everybody would just be, like, just stunned. Like, didn't even know what they were hearing. (laughs) And I I think that's almost, that is crucial, um, I think, in in really in any art form, where if you're really a standout, if you're one of the the pillars of, of it, at some point you do something where folks see it and they're like, I've never, I don't like, if you see like Salvador Dali or, or whatever, you're like, I don't know, I've never seen anything like this. I think it's that kind of a contribution, like to the field. It's crazy. Since then, it's happened in, in rock and roll every five to 10 years. You could go from Little Richard to, you know, the Beatles to Zeppelin in the 70s or punk in the late 70s, The Clash, you know, Nirvana in, in the 90s. I'd probably say real quick, I, I'd probably say every maybe 10 years. Cause like you can say this song defined the 50s. You can say the, 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 the Beatles. Define. I mean, now you, there's in the Beatles in the '60s things start getting complicated because you do have other stuff going on, um, and maybe it just starts splintering more. But um, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Too. I mean, th- you don't hear stuff as significantly, profoundly different as this too often. Bringing up the Beatles, like it's it's so gr- it was such a staple for them as well. The song they used to close their shows with it. And it's funny, I was thinking, um, even if you do an internet search, or uh, I think even I'm not sure if every time on Spotify, but the Beatles version comes up first, which is like Little Richard can't win. Like Pat Boone's gonna cover his songs. Sixty years later, an internet search is gonna be the Beatles. What do you think about the Beatles version? compared um i think it's pretty great i mean paul really this song really helped define a portion of the beatles sound you know with the woohoos and just kind of um that old rock and roll sound well and it's a little ironic you know the beatles when they were still playing in hamburg opened for little richard a few times and little richard kind of taught mccartney how to do how he hits those high notes because like his pre-show ritual was he you know he put his head under a towel a, a, a bowl of steaming hot water 
And then he'd lift his head up to the mirror and say, I can't help it because I'm so beautiful. And McCartney said he used that to hit that. Because those notes, I mean, there are very few singers that in that key can, and it's in the key of F, I believe, yeah. who can hit it's that rough. that woo and just go. I mean, like, I would think Little Richard, maybe Roy Orbison, Paul McCartney, Elton John, multiple female singers. I've never wanted to hear Long Tall Sally and, and play the Beatles version. Like, let's put it that way, like... And you can make a case now. I'd have to really listen closely, but you can make a case that like they succeeded in this. If their attempt was to prevent white kids from playing it, because Ringo ain't gonna swing that fast, I promise. Yeah, but um, they they did it a lot. They, they there's a lot of good versions. I mean, when I was listening to it, it took me back to just like junior high listening to them at the BBC. Like it really was a big staple for them early, and I and I think it speaks to the song. Like I just said before, that they closed their shows with it. They cl- the Beatles closed their shows with this song by Little Richard. And this song, because it's such a rock and roll standard, been covered over a hundred times. But before we get into the rest of the covers, I did want to just go over and going back to the New Orleans sound. I wonder how common, because I love the the sax solo, Lee Allen playing tenor sax. And I, I just feel like you don't hear many sax solos. It's like the centerpiece of a, of a rock and roll song. Like, Well, you did. I mean, back back then you did a lot, but you know, you don't often anymore but i don't i think that's kind of the contribution of chuck berry like because you didn't really hear people play like this on the electric guitar until chuck berry and honestly this is so fast it'd be really hard to play uh a a real good guitar solo on this song because the speed is just so fast and i think you kind of see how rock and roll was it's kind of like guys who maybe had played swing and 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 jazz and all this jump uh, blues and all this stuff it, it, what it is 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 those guys doing just kind of even pushing it to the next level and um, really not unlike the bop guys had done with Dizzy Gillespie. But uh, they were just taking something and pushing it to the next level. It'd be very hard. I don't think there was anyone prior to Chuck Berry that I've heard that played electric guitar in a way that could even keep up with it. And that's why, you know, a lot of great guitar players um, just you can you can certainly do it. It can be done, but it is very difficult and you either have to play super fast, almost like a saxophone, or find your own pocket and find your own way to make a slower, more vocal approach on guitar to it. This is one of those songs that, like, once again, I, I, it's weird because it's almost a standard, but, like, no one should ever play it. There's really no need, like, because it's you're not going to do what it is that makes... Because, I mean, even the Beatles, it's cool. I can play this song like the Beatles. But if you really try to play a shuffle, this is probably about 20% faster than Johnny Be Good. And it is humming. And t- now we go back to the covers, where, which this song has been covered by hundreds of artists. So, And I listened to a handful of them. For the most part, they're like the Kinks should never Kinks, have covered this no. song. Molly Hatchett shouldn't have covered this song. Elvis is pretty good. Fleetwood Mac, the early version, terrible. Well, I listened to Eddie Cochran did a great version. Basically, it sounds like Elvis, but like how Elvis should have done it. He does a great jazzy guitar solo in it. It's very just like it's very just jazz guitar, which is cool. Um, I listened to a live version of Twisted Sister that turned this song into like it sounds like if you mixed um, Long Tall Sally with Fever Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, it's it has a fever dog quality to it that sounds but, like something i will not be listening to but you should because it i mean just the novelty of it is amazing fever dog doesn't make anything better <laughs> like at weird i was discussing this with 
my fiance, and I was like, when I think of Fever Dog, I think of like the hot dog you've seen at the Seven Eleven. That's the same one that was there two days ago, and it's just spinning. And like, if you eat it, you're gonna get the sweats. Like, you're gonna get a fever from that hot dog. But um, and I but feel like that song's about that. Check that out. <laughs> just going back to like why I chose this song and why I wanted to 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 choose a song by Little Richard, you know, after his passing is he is such a historic figure for someone my age. I was born in 1983. I can remember him very young from like commercials. He was in a Michael Jordan commercial. He was in a McDonald's commercial commercial. And then I kind of, and, but, and, and you also like, I heard his songs and they're very kid friendly, you know, just because they, they're easy to swing to. They don't really, like we said, the ly- lyrically, they're super ambiguous. They don't really have to make sense. I mean, you know, they're all talking about stuff that you can kind of interpret however you want as a kid or as an adult. I don't know who he was writing it for at 22 or 23, whether he was trying to invent the American music consumer uh, in the white crowd and and probably did not get compensated fairly for it throughout his career. It's not like, you know, when you hear when I heard Floyd or Zeppelin or Hendrix or Allman Brothers when I was a teenager and kind of just really getting into music or just starting to smoke pot and get into it. Like Little Richard, I've known since I was a child and, and I've always been, like heard his music and kind of been into it throughout different phases of my life. And as you get older, it's, you know, now it's like, hey, this is good party music. Like I can party to this as well. I can have some drinks and sit in a barbecue and, and grill some steaks and have this on and people are going to have a good time. Yeah. And to what you were just saying, it's because his music is so universal from kids to old people to people our age. Just it's just, I mean, tutti frutti. It's kind of crazy, but. It's Tutti Frutti, have some fun tonight, good golly Miss Molly. It's just all just vehicles for him to express this vibe of just quick rock and roll. When you said universal, there's so few artists that reach that status. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say even in the past like 40 years, you could think Michael Jackson, Bob Marley, and before that, you know, Elvis, the Beatles, Little Richard. There's not that many people you can play this song for, like in the world that wouldn't move yeah. to it and i i think it's uh he just lived such an amazing life i i cannot believe he wrote this song in 55 56 and he just died a couple weeks ago it speaks to like his significance that you can't imagine like a world before this i, I can't imagine a world without this song in it what would that it's almost like it was in black and white, and then like this. Yeah, this is like color. Well, like right. I just the Beatles closed their shows with it. They're the Beatles. Well, and I mean. and like what is R and B without him? What is soul music? Like he kind of like all of these. He was an innovator in all of these different branches of genres so of music. But it was also so simple. Like it 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 really speaks to just the simplicity. Just like brilliance lies within we're, simplicity. We're all talking about a twelve bar blues that he did, and maybe a little different way. The energy was a little different, but it, it's it's just one four five, right? And it's a explain what one four five is for anybody listening who doesn't know. Well, it's just the uh, the major chords in a key. Uh, they're the most common chords used. They're like almost like bread, meat, and cheese or something. I mean, it's like just the most fundamental elements to use to put a song together. And like, you know, you could some songs or maybe you know, like most all the songs we've talked about uh, to date uh, use some variation of that. Like, you know, yeah. it's just the most solid fundamental building blocks of a song. Yeah, and what what are they as far as the do re mi? What is it? Do re mi. Well, those are so those are the individual scale degrees, like but, yeah, but, but like four or five. It's, it's so do re mi fa so. It'd be do fa so. It'd be the notes built, the chords yeah. built on those notes. It's just the most fundamental thing. It's it's like a cheeseburger or something. It's kind of like well, who can't make a cheeseburger? But yet, you know, to your point, Josh, he wasn't trying to write a song to open relations with <laughs> ethnicities and 
create the teenager. But what happened is it's one of those things where like when someone comes along that like has this thing, suddenly it's like, you know what, this vibe is more important than race. This vibe is more important than culture. Like it's just like you just like it. And yes, it's the kind of thing boundaries. Right. It, it just well, it's one of those things like you it's like there are apparently certain ratios of you know, like, uh, uh, of the face of symmetry and things that, like, all cultures kind of resonate toward. And this is one of those things. And the thing is, the fundamental rhythm in blues is the heartbeat. And this this shuffle is based on that. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And I think that's got to be part of the reason why it has such universal appeal, because it is the most fundamental rhythm that every person ever living has heard, because your mom, you hear your mom's heartbeat, it's the first thing you ever hear. And so, and it, it's that... Uh, on like with adrenaline like it's definitely it's kicked in for yeah. sure so in saying all of this uh what is your favorite part of the song actually i got a couple other things to say here so first of all <laughs> neil i don't know if you remember this my 30th birthday party at the sunset Hyatt, that was little richard's room wow i certainly that's why i so that's why i picked that room because like he lived in that room for like 11 years Do you remember the room number uh, I don't. It was on. It was a corner suite. It was like on the uh, the I don't know southeast corner of the building suite. But that was uh, that we picked. I picked that room. I wanted to get the Golden God. I am a Golden God. Robert Plant room. But that's up on the night. They won't rent that one. Out. They, they they just would not rent it out. But that one. That's how much I like Little Richard. Like I was like yeah. I want to stay in his room. I mean for, I remember uh, you talking about that. I remember you talking about wanting the Golden God room. But um. True to this song and true to our friendship, we sure had some fun that night. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, of hotels, it's funny that you say he lived there because I, I read an article in Rolling Stone year, a couple of years ago where, like, towards the end of his life, he was living in, like, the penthouse of some hotel in Nashville, like a Marriott in Nashville. And just, you know, he had a limo driver, and, like, whenever he wanted to go out, they wheeled him down and, like, <laughs> just yeah. living in a penthouse. This is also it's one of those songs I've kind of been aware of my whole life. You know, you just, you just kind of hear it, but the first time I remember hearing it and it's sticking with me, like, I need to hear it again, was Predator. Oh! And I bet you, yeah, <laughs> we're going to say the same yeah. thing, because it's like almost like a generational thing. Because I'd, I'd heard the song before, but when I heard it there, yeah, I was like, uh, oh, I need some Little Richard in my life. In the helicopter, yes, right? In the helicopter. And I read in a couple places, like, it's been used in um, a handful of video games, like, with opening scenes that are all like just an homage to the Predator scene. <laughs> like half the population just relates this song directly to Predator. <laughs> and so another interesting thing was uh, Hendrix played for Little Richard for a bit. And when you see, you look at Little Richard's headband and his thin little, and his yeah. hair and style, and, and you see the clear influence. And they say the one of the reasons why he quit playing with Little Richard was like, Little Richard was getting a bit jealous of like Jimmy getting a little too flashy on stage and like kind of left him behind because he was sick of it. And um, but then you also see the influence on Prince. I mean, it's clear, it's right. There. So I mean, we're yeah. talking like not only did he did he kind of almost I won't say invent rock and roll, but was he maybe the first to be recognized. The influence he had on other icons is just incredible. Yeah, and even to that point, when you picture Little Richard, Little Richard in your mind you see him in a purple suit. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like he's purple, purple rain. There's actually a, what is of, purple rain? One of his biggest breakouts it was he was in some movie which I, I feel bad I don't have the name of in the fifties. The girl can't help it. The girl can't help it. And those movies from the fifties, they go into these little restaurants or place in Vegas, and then there's a piano player, and you just kind of can't take your eyes off of him in that scene. You know, even though you're supposed to be paying attention to the girl, it's all about Little Richard. He also plays the hockey game in Mystery Alaska. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but uh, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's got a great line in it. So favorite favorite part of the song? His vocal, like that, at the very his vocal sounds like a trumpet, like a, a muted trumpet, like. It almost doesn't even sound like a person. It sounds like an engine. It's crazy. I agree. I mean, that that first just rip is just the the initial energy is just like a bomb going off. I would say my favorite part is just it's such a classic, great chorus. We're going to have some fun tonight. It's so simple. Three chords and let's have some fun. The drum fill going into the last chorus is great. They're going to have that. It's just like, I mean, it's one of those things for a song to have this vibe. It's almost like a car that's being pushed as hard as it can. Like the needles in the red, like you can tell all the players are like, just hope, just try to get to the end, man, because it's like you hold on, because it's it's relentless. If you blink, you're gonna throw off the vibe. And, and you know, you always like to kind of refer to art, the, the the structure of really anything creative. And I think you know what what this does really well is just really sets you in the present from the minute it starts. You're just there. You're there with the whale. You're moving. You don't really have to think about anything but the song. It's hard to think about anything but the song when it's playing. And I think that's, you know, a, a, a tribute to. One of the th- things in life I can think about that almost kind of mimics it is uh, in the Olympics, in the Summer Olympics, they have the 50-meter freestyle swim, which is just one length of an Olympic pool. But the thing is, those dudes don't take a breath. That whole, because it's like about a 30-second yeah. About thir- and they don't take a single breath. And like the sprinting, you would think is a more natural analogy, but in sprinting, they're breathing. This is like so it has the urgency of winning and the urgency of trying to get a breath, and th- it it just has that madhouse feel. And, and that's a, I actually wrote that down the first time I listened to it this week when I was just making notes. It was just like it just feels like I'm getting chased, but chased into like chasing the night. You know that phrase of like chase. I'm just being chased into the night to have a good time. There's no pressure. There's no like. There's nothing negative about it. It's just like I'm being, I'm not running away from anything. It's just like I'm running into something. I want to find. I want to have some fun. And that's the thing, too, is you see the influence it has then on, like, a band as seemingly different as, like, The Doors, where it's, it has that, like, night motif and, like, getting into, like, the mystery of it because there's natural mystery in, in that kind of stuff. But The Doors achieve it in a totally different they, – they do it in a Doors manner. They don't try to get into a land war in Asia. Like, you know – yeah. But they, uh, so but they, they found their own mystery with it, which is amazing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Johnny, what uh, for people who like this song, what, what would you recommend? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, I mean, Rock all the roll. Chuck Berry stuff beyond just, I mean, Johnny Be Good is clearly, I mean, it's, it's, it's my favorite. All the other tunes like uh, Maybelline. And then if you think about tunes like Maybelline and Carol and Little Queenie, they're all very like focused on a specific lady. And so I think all those tunes have that same vibe where it's it's, spe- it's specifically about a personality, yeah. which I think is very interesting. Neil? Um, well, as always, I don't know exactly uh, what I would say about this song because it is such a cl- – you know, we just talked about could it have started rock and roll. You know, I'd recommend you just listen to rock and roll. But I would recommend uh, going on YouTube and looking up the – 
his live performance at Olympia Paris, where he is just his hair is all over the place. He's sweating like he just went 12 rounds with Mike Tyson. And it's it's really an amazing performance. The thing that sucks is with many of his live stuff is he's standing and he's always trying to gyrate so much that he's like he he comes away from the mic. So he's crushing it, but half the time you can't hear what he's singing because he's too far away from the mic. But as far as a visual and uh, just a kind of getting the vibe of who this guy was, uh, it's it's an amazing performance. Olympia, Paris, Long Tall Sally. Do you know what year that was? Like how far back? No, I don't know what year it was. I imagine it was uh, probably like, black and white. Yeah, it was black and white. And good God, go watch that immediately. <laughs> So it's it's interesting too with this song. It's one of the it's a very much like Johnny Be Good in the sense that like, as much as I love Little Richard and Chuck Berry, I've never heard either one of them do the songs as good ever again as they did on the recording. Because like Johnny Be Good on the recording is amazing. This on the recording, and I've never heard them do that. The other thing I was gonna say was one of the only other tunes I can think of that jumps on you in the same way is something like uh, like Miserable or something by Dick Dale. One of the few songs that has that kind of attack. And what you were just saying, um, it's 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 a real shame that like a lot of stuff that I saw uh, live performances from him and even some other stuff I've looked up. It's a shame that most of that stuff was lip synced back then for like movies and like just uh, TV performances. Like they they don't even have a mic; they're just kind of like grooving along. You're like, all right. I mean, this sounds exactly like the record, well, but it's cool to see you. I, I think there was probably something about the technology back then that had something to do with that. I'm sure. Just it's, I'm like just saying it's a shame. And, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying they for sure. screwed I, the pooch. I would say that for me, if you if you like that kind of piano style rock, you know, I would say go back and listen to Professor Longhair. Jonathan, you mentioned him earlier. I love Professor Longhair, a New Orleans piano player. Sticking with that. Uh, I would say no. Dr. John. Uh, <laughs> you can't, you know, there's some great Dr. John stuff. Elton John, obviously, is a great... You know, piano rocker. He's got some great. I mean, the crocodile rock is is Doctor Elton John. You know, Doctor Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different version. In that same Rolling Stone article I referred to earlier, it's just one of my favorite stories about any rock and roll guy or really any person is he was. You know, he was so popular. Like in '57 or '58, he was on a world tour. He was playing in Australia, and it was right after the satellite had entered orbit, right? And so it's going around every now and then. He's playing a show in Australia, and he decides, like, he sees this fire in the sky. I don't know if he's on drugs or drunk or whatever, but he thinks it's like this sign from God. And so he decides he's not going to finish his tour. They, they had a fl- There was a flight to Japan to play in, in Japan next. And he decides he's not going to do it, and he just stays in Australia and quits rock and roll, I think, 15 years to be a preacher. Well, the flight that he was supposed to be on to Japan crashed, and, and he I, was a preacher for 15 years, and then he came back. And he came back, and one of his first, first performances back, and he became popular again because of a, midnight, a couple of performances on the Midnight Special wow, in the 70s. Wow, sweet, sweet. Which are, uh, which are very good. Shout out Wolfman Jack. He just died. He was 88. He lived such a full life. And the fact that he he had like Tutti Frutti, uh, Long Tall Sally, Good Golly Miss Molly, and then was like... Screw this, I gotta go back to college, I gotta get an education. All I can do is sing, really, at this moment. And he did that and became a preacher, and just, he seemed to he seemed to be a very happy, great guy who just uh, dipped his toes in a million different things, you know? I mean, it's very unique. There aren't many folks who uh, make that kind of impression. And there again, you know, to be uh, wise enough, they say a, wild, a wise man knows his weaknesses, you know, and, and to be wise enough to then go back and, and want to further your education and at some point maybe we'll do Johnny Be Good, but to me, like, Johnny Be Good is 
almost like an archetype and like where this there's just some typically a guy you know but like just kind of shows up out of nowhere and does something that like no one and and, and chuck berry is that archetype little richard is muddy waters robert johnson you know eddie van halen jimmy hendrix this whole point of just um him as a man like i'm not a terribly religious person but i would listen to a richard little richard sermon any day oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i don't know if i'd believe it or not but i'd listen to it amazing preacher and on that amen and amen. Uh, and and you have been listening to wish i played in a rock and roll band now we're going to play a cover of the song that uh jonathan neal and myself put together at home and then we will tell you uh the song we're going to talk about next week so you can listen to it and uh you know have your own opinions while you listen to the podcast now this week was my pick and next week is going to be jonathan's pick and jonathan what what are we going to let what are we going to talk about next week i don't know let's talk about uh let's talk about tainted love Ooh, okay that's a great one so the version you know is soft cell which is the one in the 80s <laughs> but but the thing is that was actually a cover and the original one was by uh, uh gloria jones which is like 64 and it's you, you, it's an r&b tune so we'll talk about Tainted Love. And now we're going to play the song. Gonna tell Aunt Mary about Uncle John. Claim he has a misery, but he has a lot of fun, oh baby. Yeah, baby. Ooh, baby. Having me some fun tonight. Well, Lone Tall Sally, she built for speed, guy. Everything that Uncle John need, oh, babe. Yeah, baby. Ooh, baby. Having me some fun tonight. Yeah. Rock and roll would have started differently or later, 
Uh, I'm sure it would have started so sooner or later. Uh. Um, I, um, I don't believe it would have got started at all. Uh, in my home... In my hometown, Macon, Georgia, where I'm from, I've never heard any rock and roll music before. It was Swing and Sway with Sammy Kay when I was two, three, four. Sitting in an old bar, I was talking to a new friend. I had a bourbon He was drinking gin Listening to the Rolling Stone Disagreed on our 